Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proper, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do you hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum? And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zareth in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. late in observing Dr. King Day. It's just been a busy time. Um, but I don't like for his feast day, which he is a, a martyr in that is recognized by the Episcopal Church as one of our saints. And so he does have a proper feast day in the Episcopal Church. Um, and of course, we celebrated uh, as a country a couple of weeks ago. And I'm just a, a little behind in marking that in every aspect of my life. Um, on Thursday with my middle schoolers in chapel, uh, I didn't tell them what we were doing. I just read to them a passage from the last sermon that Dr. King preached on a Sunday in church, which happened to be at Washington National Cathedral. He had been invited by the Episcopal Diocese of Washington to come and, and be a guest preacher. Um, and so his last official sermon in a pulpit was at, at our cathedral. Um, and it's one of my favorites of his. Uh, so I, I took an excerpt from that sermon, and I read it to the middle schoolers. I didn't say anything about it, who it was or what it was from. And I read the excerpt, and it was incredible because it talked about um, sort of warning of technology and becoming a cyber nation. Think about 1968. He's using that language of cyber nation already. I read it to the kids, and they're all, they, you know, I said, when do you think this was... When do you think this person said this? Of course, most of them at the very beginning said that was, re was more modern. That was more recently that someone said that. Um, and then once when I said, oh, do you think so? Then more of them chimed in. Well, maybe not. Maybe it was from earlier. And I sort of caught on to my point. Um, uh, but then we're kind of surprised by the language in it, uh, which is one of the, the remarkable things about that, that sermon to me is it, it 
it is one of the strongest examples in his work of how he transcended and was transcending being that civil rights guy to who I believe is one of the greatest prophets of our time. Because that sermon, you could say, you could change a few of the words um, because of the way that we refer to people. You could change just a little bit of the language um, and swear it was preached yesterday. Because he was talking about stuff that we right now are struggling with. Um, and he saw it. He saw it coming. Um, it, please go and, and read it. it is, it's incredible. It is an incredible sermon. Um, and I think about him and uh, just how powerful of a preacher he was and how much of a prophet he was. Um, and realizing how hard it is to be a prophet. Jesus has gone to his hometown. Prophecy shows up a lot in our readings today, if you didn't notice. Um, Jesus goes to his hometown uh, and goes to synagogue, does kind of what you do. Think about this is hometown boy has come back. You know, it's sort of like you send the, the, the quarterback or the valedictorian off to college, and they've come back to town, um, and, and it's time to kind of see what they can do, Right? Some skepticism, certainly, people not knowing what he's about. He comes and he reads in the synagogue. And then there's sort of this fantastic exchange of, oh, isn't that just Joseph's boy? Which you could, the inflection is so interesting. You could say, oh, isn't that Joseph's boy? Or isn't that Joseph's boy? Or isn't that Joseph's boy? You know, didn't he get in trouble when we were kids? Didn't I have to reprimand him? I just remember him from his dad's woodworking shop, making shavings. That's what my dad says. He turns wood. And I said, Daddy, what are you making right now? Lots of shavings. <laughs> uh, isn't it that kid? And he comes home, and, and I, I picture it in him being, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I asked my middle schoolers, I said, what is it like at like Christmas when you get together with the family and it's the, you only see these people once a year, what is it they say to you? Audible eye roll in the room because they and then and then I said, so what do they say? And they said oh, things like, "You've gotten so big, my how you've grown." I said they ask you about school, don't you? Oh, yes, they ask me about school all the time. You know, what are you like in class? Uh, because when we see people that we've watched grow up. They stay in that stage in some ways. You know, we, we, we appreciate that they're maturing, but in so many ways they stay that kid. Um, and in, in this case, Jesus is, is a lot like that punk nephew who's gone off to college, now has every idea in the world, and sits at the Thanksgiving table and drives you crazy because he's correcting everybody and telling you how wrong you are. And you just want to say, be quiet and eat your mashed potatoes. Because he's being that kid. He, he's come home. They kind of want to see what he's up to. They want him to bring him a good, new, good word. It's like when you go home as a clergy person for one of the first times, you're invited back home to preach. And really, people just want you to tell them that Jesus loves them. You know, they want to see that you've gone off and made good, and then you come back and you give them a good word. Jesus loves you. There's lots of hope and grace in the world. I said it. Like, that's what they want from you. Just make us proud. You know, the ones who are rooting for you, just make us proud. And instead, Jesus gets up and says, um, P.S., 
we see in scripture from our prophets, this whole Messiah thing might actually first be for the Gentiles and not for the Jews. That's not what they want to hear. You know, they want him to say, God's coming for the people of Israel. God's coming for the chosen people. He's going to set free the children of Abraham. He is going to set free the people of Moses yet again. That's for whom he is sending the Messiah. That's for whom I have come. Let's do this thing. And instead, he reads and then preaches about how the prophets first took care of the foreigners. Well, this doesn't go over very well. Jesus, you're just supposed to tell us that God loves us first and sit down, eat your mashed potatoes. <clears throat> so they get infuriated by it, you know, because, and he names, prophets are not welcome in their hometown because he's just that kid. He's just that guy that they watched grow up. So what does he have to tell us? How dare he come and tell us that it's not for us first? Send him packing. Better yet, let's kill him. Poor prophets. Poor prophets. This is the fate of, of many a prophet because it's difficult. And not many of us are called to be prophets. It is an exceptional vocation among God's people. In clergy world, we talk about pastors. We talk about clergy people who are called to be who are called pastoral um, uh, ministry, we talk about preaching pastors, we talk about clergy who are, are called to be teachers. Then there's just a small number who are called to be prophets. There are many who would like to be prophets, not really fully comprehending, I think, what that means. But I know a few who truly are, and I'm amazed by them and their courage and their passion um, and their willingness to, to jump into the middle of the fire and not care if they're burned. It's a remarkable thing to which to be called. And it takes a remarkable person. So it's no wonder that in the history, in, in our biblical history, we see prophets regularly say, um, no God, I'll pass. Hard pass on that calling. You know, Moses, God says, Moses, Moses, you're going to be my person. He says, no, no God, no, I'm not. I don't care if you're talking to me through a burning bush. I'm not buying it. I don't talk well in public. Nobody's going to listen to me, right? Here we have in our reading for today, God calls the prophet and says, don't say that you're just a boy. I'm going to give you the words. Now, our high and mighty selves would say, oh, you should listen to God. God's calling you. It doesn't matter that you're a boy. How dare you argue with God? Don't argue with God. Just say yes to God. First of all, TV timeout. Please argue with God. Argue with God all the time. God wants us to argue with God. Wants it. That's the whole Psalter is filled with arguments with God because it's the only way our relationship is deepened. But we get high and mighty. How could you argue with God? Because nobody listens to children. He knows this, right? Bagley's like, right? <laughs> nobody listens. Today we hardly listen to children. Imagine what it was like then. Paul is writing generations later and still, still puts down kids. I get where Paul's coming from. I get what Paul's trying to tell us. I've preached on that. I'll preach on it again. But it's no wonder Jeremiah says, no, I'm just a kid. Nobody listens to kid. Look at what Paul is going to write later. Paul's not even alive yet. And he's going to say, 
I once was a child, I saw as a child. Then I put away childish things and became a man and then I knew. <laughs> he obviously didn't have many theological conversations with children. They see God so much more clearly than most adults. If you don't believe me, come and be with me when I'm a guest at the lower school chapel. And I ask those kids questions. Madeline Lee Engle, in her book, uh, Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art, which is one of my favorite books, and she's one of my favorite authors, she talks about the story of Peter walking on water and the difference between how children and adults hear that story. Adults want to argue the physics of it. Like the second you tell the story, adults say, it's got to be an analogy. Peter couldn't really have done that. It's not physically possible. Let's argue about the, the scientific ramifications of Peter. Children hear that story and they go, that's awesome! <laughs> There's superheroes in this world and one of them's in the Bible! He's walking on water. It doesn't take anything for them to believe it. Madeline Lee Engle says we as adults could stand to forget to remember. We could stand to forget to remember the things we've learned and have made us so smart. We could stand to be more like the kids. So of course Jeremiah says, I can't. nobody's going to listen to me, I'm a kid. Who listens to a kid? Who listens to a man who was the adopted grandson of Pharaoh, killed a person, is now an outlaw, wanted for murder, that actually belongs to an enslaved people, married a foreigner, and just wants to tend his flock. Nowhere near Pharaoh. Who's going to listen to that guy who can't even put together two sentences without stuttering? Who's going to listen to him? Who's going to listen to a black man in an era in which black men were told just to work and keep their heads down? Who's going to listen to him? He doesn't have the words. Some white person needs to champion that because no one's going to listen to the black man. Who's going to listen to another great prophet in American history? A formerly enslaved woman who could preach the pants off of anyone. Sojourner Truth. You don't get lower than low. There's nothing lower than an enslaved woman. Their job is to have babies and maybe clean house. Who's going to listen to her? <clears throat> so it's with good reason why prophets don't necessarily want that job. Because God seeks out those that we would most ignore to be our prophets. God seeks out those we would most ignore to be our prophets. And then God gives them a word that's going to hurt. Because prophets don't come to tell us what, how other people need to change. Prophets come to tell us how we need to change. And so prophets come in the form of the people like that nephew at the Thanksgiving table that you just want to be quiet because he's telling you something you need to hear, but you don't want to hear. I want a prophet to come and tell me how the other people need to fix their lives. That's what was happening with Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come and say, aren't the Gentiles terrible? Here's how the Gentiles need to change so we can be free. And here's how we're going to be free because God's going to put them down. That's the word of prophecy they wanted to hear. 
And instead, Jesus came and said, actually, not only are they going to be a part of this, they might actually be first. And we're all going to have to change. Because that's going to demand a lot of you too. So often when we go to scripture, we try and put ourselves in the place of the main character, right? And that is a good and noble thing for sure. There are times when we should explore who we are in those who hear God's call and how we respond to that, but not today. Today I invite you instead to rededicate yourselves to cultivating the ministry of listening, not talking. For most of us, we are not the prophets in these stories. We're the people listening or refusing to listen or, more significantly, the people calling for the prophet's head on a platter like John the Baptist. Because we don't like prophets. We don't like them at all. That's why most of them end up being killed. It is a necessary part of our discipleship and our relationship with God that we cultivate the ability to hear a prophet in our midst. No matter how difficult that is, no matter how much it's going to hurt or how unrecognizable the prophet may be, it is our job to cultivate the ability to hear and to see them. And here's how we do that. We first look at the people we most ignore and start listening to them. Who are the invisible in your life? Who are the people you intentionally don't see? Who are the people you've never been taught to see? Let's first look there. Then who are the people in your life that pinch? That just hearing their voice, like the first squeak out of their mouth, makes you cringe. Who are those people in your life? Now, legitimately, there are some people we just can't handle. But a lot of times, the person who pinches you the most, that just drives you crazy when they start talking, usually it's because there's something of truth in what they're saying that bothers you, that is contradictory to something you hold dear, so you don't want to hear what they have to say. Because, dadgummit, it might mean being wrong. Those are the people that pinch us the most, that threaten our identity because we hold those beliefs so dearly, and yet, as they talk, we're not hard to be best friends with them, but they start talking, oh, and I just hear that little bit of truth that I don't want to accept. This, this is what we're supposed to cultivate as disciples. That's the work for most of us, not being the prophetic voice, standing forward and saying, the world has to change or we're all going to die and I know I'm going to go first. For most of us, our task is to learn to listen, which takes great courage and commitment. I feel convicted in all of this. I feel grateful for the gift of prophets in God's church 
I feel sorry for our inability to see and hear them in our own time, for our unwillingness to do so, for the downright resistance that we offer. And mostly, I feel the need to beg for forgiveness, for our penchant for killing them. Amen.